Hi folks, wanna welcome you to our adult Sunday school time here at the Kerwinsville Christian Church. We are going through, as we have been for a while now, a survey through the Old Testament, and we are up to the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And we've entitled this series that we're doing, The Return to the Land. And so we've gotten through Ezra and we've been focusing on Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is basically focusing on the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And we've seen that those walls have been completed when we did our study through chapters 1 through 6. Now when we come to the rest of the book of Nehemiah, there's going to be some various topics that are, are discussed in Nehemiah, some issues that are going to be addressed. So today we're going to focus on the city and the priest, the priest being Ezra. So we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 1, through chapter 10, verse 39. So let's look at this together. The first thing we're going to see is when we come to chapter 7, there is really a census or a listing of the people within the city. So... When you come to chapter 7, it's going to begin, first of all, talking about the security of the city before we look at the whole issue of the census. So when the walls and gates were completed, Nehemiah gave his brother, Hananiah, charge of the city. So when you talk about the security of the city, and they need to because they've got Zambila, the Horonite, We've got Tobiah the Ammonite, we've got the Samaritans. People are not happy about the Jerusalem and the Jews now being secure within the city with walls and gates. He's got to give the security of the city to somebody that he trusts, and he does that with his brother Hananiah. Now, his brother Hananiah was chosen because he was a faithful man who feared God. He was a man who was very faithful in his service, but he also feared God more than others, the scriptures will tell you. Now, Nehemiah gave instructions concerning when to open the gates and who would stand guard. So it's got to be, you've got to make sure that not just anybody's watching the gates, you've got to make sure that there are certain people that you can trust that are opening the gates, and he gave instructions as to when the gates could be opened, and specifically when they were to be closed, because you're dealing with the security of the city. So the text goes on and tells us, and this is right before we look at the whole issue of who is inhabiting the city, the city was large at this time and spacious because the inhabitants and the homes were few. So if you remember, when Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed Jerusalem, not once, but three different times, when he finally left, he basically left nothing. The temple was destroyed, the walls were broken down, all of the homes were basically, most of them were gone. And so what you're going to see now is that as people returned, it's not the number who were, who were killed and taken away, you've got a group of people who come back, but their numbers aren't as many as they were once when Jerusalem was at its height. And so homes are few and the city is spacious. It's very open within the walls of the city. 
So we notice now we're going to get into the issue of the census. So the Lord moved Nehemiah's heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people. So Nehemiah is moved by the Lord to have a gathering. All the nobles, the rulers, and the people. He gathered them so that they might be registered by genealogy. Now, what does that mean, George, registered by genealogy? Well, what that means is, is he's talking about registering the people by their families, making note of how many belong to each family group. So as he's doing this, Nehemiah found a register of genealogy for those who were a part of the first return. Remember the first return? That happened with Zerubbabel. So he's found a register of genealogy with those who were a part of the first return. So the writer lists the names and numbers within the register of first returnees. So what happens in our text then is not the register per se that he's wanting from the nobles and the people in his time, he's basically listing the names of those who came back from Babylon with Zerubbabel to Jerusalem. The writer states that the total number of returnees was 42,360. So 42,000 people returned, 360. An accounting was also given of the monies given by the heads of the house of Jerusalem. So there's an accounting here of what the heads of the house of Jerusalem gave in the rebuilding process of the walls. So now we're going to move to chapter 8 and we're going to focus on the ministry of Ezra. We're going to see this now in chapter 8 verse 10 through, uh, well, verse, verse 1, excuse me, verse 10 through verse 39, okay? So the people gathered in an open square, and Ezra the priest was told to bring the law of Moses. Now remember, the law of Moses, those are the first five books. We've looked at those. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That is the law of Moses. So he, he, Ezra, the priest, who at this point is further along in his age, he's probably towards the end of his life, he brings along the law of Moses. Ezra stood in an open platform above the people and opened the book of the law. Now when you say he opened the book of the law, you're basically saying he's reading the book of the law to the people. When the book was opened, the people stood to their feet, okay? Now, let me just kind of point out to you here. We're not talking about a book like what we have. That is a later invention. When it talks about a book of the law, we're talking about a scroll. So he would have come with these scrolls, the scroll of the law. And when the scroll was opened, that is unrolled in front of them, the people stood to their feet in reverence because it's the law of God, okay? It is from Yahweh. 
When the book was read, they instructed the people to help them to understand the reading. Now, isn't that interesting? This is the, one, of the first, one of the few times we see this recorded in Scripture where God's word is read, and then they took time, they had Levites, they had people, to come along between the people and help them to understand what was being read, explaining it. Nehemiah and Ezra declared the day holy to the Lord and told them not to sorrow. So his whole point is at the end of the day of reading, it's kind of overwhelming when you hear the book of the law, especially for them when they realize that they've transgressed it. Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra the, the priest, Nehemiah the governor, he's telling the people this is a holy day to the Lord. Don't be sorrowful. Don't. On the second day, the people responded to the reading by celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, this is one of the feasts, several feasts, that are in the law. And so they responded by celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, after celebrating the feast, on the 24th day, the people separated themselves from the foreigners. So here's what's happening. So they realize they're celebrating what they do is they, they which is what they're supposed to do, separate themselves from the Gentiles, the foreigners. Why? Because they're going to make confession. The people assembled with fasting, dressed in sackcloth, with dust on their heads. Okay? So they're, they're basically coming and putting dust on them. All of it is a sign of grief, of repentance. The people stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. <clears throat> now, listen, I need to make this point. This is very obvious throughout the Old Testament. Sometimes we can develop a mindset, well, I only need to worry about my own sins. Yeah, but that's not the thing that comes out of the Old Testament where sin is visited to a family to the seventh generation. The people, when they stood and confessed, they didn't just confess their sins, they confessed the sins of their fathers, the iniquities of their fathers. Why? Because all they need to do is just look around at Jerusalem at that time and know that this is, we're in this situation we're in because our fathers sinned. They're facing the consequences. And so they confessed the sins of their fathers. They read the book of the law for part of the day and then confessed and worshiped. So what they did now is as, as they're separating themselves, they're making confession, they're, they're reading the book of the law, and then what do they do? In response to what they're reading, they now then what? Confess more sins that they have committed and what else? They then worship God. What happens now is we see a portion of Scripture, it's a major portion of Scripture, where a group of Levites offer a prayer of confession to the Lord on behalf of the people. So there's this group of Levites, and what do they do? They pray and they confess the sins of the people of Israel, and they're doing it as 
in a role in which they're doing it on behalf, they're doing it as representatives of the people in their prayers to the Lord. The leaders and the priests and the Levites made a covenant with the Lord and sealed it. So because of what they're reading, they decide that they need to do what's right. They make a covenant with the Lord to do what's right, and they seal it. They, they basically write it down and seal it. The passage then lists those who place their name on the document. So this is like they're entering into a legal agreement, and the passage then lists for you those who leaders and priests and Levites who signed their name to the document. The rest of the people joined with these brethren and entered into the covenant as well. So the rest of the people, they're like, yes, we need to do this. And so they enter into it rather verbally. They enter into the covenant as well as a reason why they're going to continue to do what's right. By entering into the covenant, they enter into the curse and an oath to walk in God's law. Basically, we saw this happening in Deuteronomy, where the people, when Moses shared with them the cursings and the blessings of following the law, the people said, yes, let the curse be upon us. They're doing the same thing here. They're reaffirming what was done before by Israel before the, with Moses before they entered into the land by bringing upon themselves the covenant, but its curses and blessings. They're doing the same thing now by entering into the curse of not following the Lord, but making an oath to say that, yes, we will follow the Lord. They swore not to give their own daughters to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters. So again, the people at this time are saying, we're not going to involve ourselves in intermarriage. We're not going to give our daughters to the foreigners, nor are we going to take foreign women to be our wives. Now this is interesting. I want you to keep note of this because next Sunday when we look at this next portion, the final portion of, of Nehemiah, we're going to see that they didn't follow this as well. They again had a problem with intermarriage. So let's go on. They swore not to sell or do business on the Sabbaths. Again, we're going to see next week that they had a problem with this one as well. Remember, the Sabbath was to be holy to the Lord, and there was to be no work done on that day. It was a day of rest. And so they swore, we're not going to sell, we're not going to do business on the Sabbath. They also made ordinances concerning a temple tax for service in the temple. So they made arrangements for the fact that they were going to provide funding so that the temple could maintain its service. And let's just be honest, we're going to see again next week that they were having problems with this as well. They also made an ordinance concerning the collection of first fruits and tithes. So remember, the law called that you were to bring your first fruits and your tithes to the Lord to the temple. Now, that's going to bring us to the end of our lesson today. And next week, we're going to delve in further, and we're going to see the dedication of the law 
And then we're going to finish up with some reforms that Nehemiah did as he ends his book. 